0: hello welcome to relatable this is your host Teresa freeman today i talk with don spears who is a very good friend of mine he currently works as a firearms instruction coordinator for atf Uh, throughout our conversation we talk about his long history in public service he started his career uh, serving uh, in the military he's also worked for the police force he's worked as a secret service agent and now at atf Uh, so many great stories interesting twists and turns and how he's had to pivot and make some tough decisions along the way. Uh, He talks a lot about how a fear of failure can hold you back and it's really not being afraid of the things or being afraid of failure, it's actually being afraid of the things that we don't try. You don't wanna miss this episode. There's so much for us to talk about, um, and you have had such an interesting path. And I, I think, you know, you and I've talked personally just about how, um, important it is for people to know, like, there's lots of different ways that one can be successful. And there's lots of different ways that this happens, right. Where you might have a, a picture and an outcome for yourself. And then, you know, it just varies. Right. And you, and as I was looking at like, and thank you so much for all your great notes, but it seems certainly like you've pivoted quite a bit, um, and change and make decisions, right? And you have a lot of crossroads that you can talk about. So maybe the first thing would be just to tell um, our audience what it Mm -hmm. is that you do now. We'll just start there, like what your role is now. Um, You know, given the climate, there are some interesting things we could talk about, I think. Um, And like, without even realizing it, the timing of this interview, like you're a specialist in this area. So I don't, I feel like you could offer some perspective there, but just tell me, yeah, tell me a little bit about your current role and, and what you do. Uh,
1: Okay, so um, right now uh, I work with ATF Special Operations Division. Uh, I'm by title, the uh, Firearms Instructor Coordinator Project Officer. Um, To kind of give you some context, uh, every ATF Field Division has uh, a two-man primary training cadre for that division. You have the Firearms Instructor Coordinator, who's in charge of all the firearms training, the ranges, all that, and you have a division tactical advisor who's in charge of uh, the operational plan review, the tactical training provided to the agents, and he also acts as a liaison to our special response team. So that two man cadre um, is throughout the nation, mm-hmm. and my partner uh, Greg is—he's uh, also remote like I am. Um, he's out of Utah, and between the two of us, we run the different um, the two branches but they should be pretty cohesive uh, as both those skill sets um, are interdependent on each other. Yeah. So that's kind of,
0: and that's ATF and just for people that don't know, ATF is
1: what? What uh, The Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms and Explosives. Okay.
0: And um, that is, is that a distinct, is that under the department of defense? Is that it's, no, it's,
1: it's one of the um, main investigation, investigation, agencies under Department of Justice. We used to be under Department of Treasury, um, but after uh, the 9-11 Commission, they did some reorganization, they put um, us with DOJ.
0: Okay, okay. And how long have you been in this current role? Like you're... you're, like.
1: Um, I've been doing this job uh, at S.O.D. for just over two or a year and a half, sorry. Um, Prior to that, I was the Division Tactical Advisor to the Washington Field Division um, for five years. And prior to that, I was a, uh, a line case agent, uh, out of Richmond.
0: Okay. And, um, you um, in terms of, um, your whole career, right. In terms of just supporting federal and law enforcement, if that's the best way, <laughs> if I'm, sure. you're going to have to forgive me. I'm not going to use the right language. <laughs> I'm going to try to pretend like I know what I'm talking about, even though I don't. Um, But just how long have you, right? Like you've had some sort of role where you're supporting kind of in a, in a sort of,
1: right. uh, I started off uh, in 1996. I was a police officer with uh, Arlington County up in Northern Virginia. Uh, I spent three years there on the evening patrol section. And then uh, I ended up uh, being commissioned a special agent with the United States Secret Service in 1999. And I stayed there until 2006. So I did seven years with Secret Service. Have AT- ATF since then, and three years as a local officer. With
0: okay, so I want to talk to you like specifically about, um, you know, your path, and I, I feel like we'll we'll get to that in a minute. Just in terms of how this career, like how you've been able to find yourself in these roles, and and like. Sure. How did you navigate that? Um, Because I'm sure there's people that listen to this that are interested in a career in law enforcement or a career that's similar to yours. And and you've had a lot of um, what I would call like high impact uh, events that you've been a part of, right? So we can talk about that. But um, I guess just because I feel like I wouldn't be a good interviewer if I didn't ask, given your area of expertise and everything that you know. Um, you know, with with what's just recently happened in Texas, right, um, mm. and just generally, right, what's happening in the U.S. And there's obviously now another sad event that has propelled a lot of commentary and conversation on what this issue is with our country, um, sure. particularly in schools. And 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 as as someone who is like closely affiliated to firearms, and your your job is that, <laughs> I'm just curious what you know, what your perspective and not that I'm asking necessarily for you to, you know, it's, it it can be, I know polarizing in terms of what people feel about firearms and it's a very triggery topic, uh, no pun there intended, but I think just maybe your comments on being kind of on the inside of that and, and what we're facing or what maybe we can be doing or, you know, and, and yeah, I would just be really curious.
1: Sure. Um, So just to, you know, uh, be clear, these are my personal opinions. I don't speak for ATF. Um, I need to make sure that's, uh, yeah, you know, very, very clear. Um, it's, it's heartbreaking Teresa to see these things happen. Um, and, you know, looking at the situation in Texas right now, um, a couple of things come to mind. Um, First off, I don't know, the, the timeline and story is changing yeah. almost every couple hours. And so I don't know that I'm really in a good position to comment on that.
0: Right.
1: Um, I can say that from what I am hearing now, um, I, I don't understand how that evolved that way. Um, but again, like I wasn't that. there. right? Um, right. So uh, I've been involved in active shooter events. I was at the Navy Yard. Um, we were there after the gunman had been killed, but the information we had was that there was multiple. Um, and you just have, you know, that was a different situation naturally. Um, but uh, let's just be clear. I, I don't know what happened there. Uh, I think yeah. the, uh, the information is, is spotty coming out.
0: Um, so I don't want to
1: pass any judgment on that yeah. uh, at this point. But the biggest yeah. thing um, I look at, with those events, is um, a couple things. There were warning signs that just we didn't. I, I don't know how to say it. It keeps getting picked up. Hey, we, there's a warning signs. We don't get it. I don't know uh, how to fix that. Right. Um, but social media um, is a. Oftentimes, I, I find it to be a very double-edged sword. Right. In so much as it's great that you and I can sit here and, and talk and share our conversation with other people. Right. Right. Um, but it also, sometimes I feel it, the communication is instant and it's not always in context. Right. So, you know, again, we don't know the context of a lot of these events that have been triggered by social media things. I think it's become, um, problematic in Mm -hmm. so much as information goes out, but it's not vetted and we don't know what the truth is.
0: Right.
1: Um,
0: Do you feel like so you because you've been involved in several um, of these situations, I have I have two questions, one around um what it's like for you as a responder in these situations, like because none of us you're like you're like, a, is it even one percent? Like how many people? <laughs> can really be in that scenario and be able to talk about what that feels like in terms of, and, you know, you, we, we had talked about this before when I asked you to be on, like, I was asking you all these questions about like, how, like your frame of mind or your adrenaline or, and, and you had training, you had military training, we'll talk about that too, but, um, you know, just physically, like w- what's happening and, and what that's like for you. Maybe I'll just start there in terms of being kind of the response person.
1: Well, let's, um, I mean, I'll, I'll put it in context, right. Um, you know, I can remember two different avenues of that. Okay. Mm-hmm. When I was a police officer, that is instant, that is unfolding and you're doing it right then, you know, and I'm not saying I was in, it was not an active shooter event as a police officer, sure. but there are high stress situations that are it's happening right then. And you, you know, um, that is a huge, uh, You know, nervous system response that happens, physiological response that happens, emotional, the rest of that that's all goes into it. It's very instant. Um, Being on SRT, um, it's a little bit more deliberate in so much as you kind of have more time to think about it, if that makes sense.
0: Prepare. Most of
1: our operations, uh, almost all of them are pre-planned or we know what we're getting into as we're, as we're going there. So there's kind of a, a, a difference, right? Um, you know, I had some instances as a police officer that were pretty volatile. Um, but there's, again, it's instant and it's different when you're, uh, driving up on a, on something or you're deploying to, um, you know, the the Navy Yard. like, I'm, I'm driving up 95 and the whole time I'm thinking about things. Right. Um, so it is a, um, a mental and physical game to really set aside, um, all those emotions that are going on. Right. Mm. Um, the biggest fear that I think anyone is, you know, will I be able to do my duty and will I not fail my teammates? Um, I don't fear my own personal safety. It's Mm. really, it's failure of uh, if I was to fail my teammates and get one of them hurt, that's the biggest thing that, that goes out there. Um, and then once you get there, it's, um, the training and the, your teammates and they kind of ground you a little bit. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, to say that I would never feel fear before operations like that, um, would be a bold faced lie. I, yeah. I do. Right. Um, I have a wife that I love dearly. I have two children that are the, you know, my world and, um, those are all the things that get into it, but I have to put that into a different box and just, you know, be in the moment, if that makes yeah. sense. Um, i not trying to get all Zen on you, but <laughs> that's just well, kind of part of it.
0: I feel like too, <clears throat> everyone talks about like how multitasking is not really a thing and you can't really do it. I would think in your line of work more than any, like you're, you'd have to be so laser focused on like what's happening next, what's happening next, what, like there's not any room for any other distraction and presumably not trained to think that way. Right. Like it's just,
1: I, I don't know that they've, I can't think, think of the time that they, they trained us. It's just an expectation. It's just something you do. Um, right. And you know, you you'll see it when um, say if I'm running training and I'm watching one of the agents um, and I can tell he's distracted, he's got a court case, he's got a sick child, he's got something going on. Mm-hmm. Y- you'll see it. And they're just not, it's not there. Right. Um, And you have to be able to, you know uh, you can never turn it off. Right. I can't turn off the, you know, the, the care and love I have for my family, but I have to be able to minimize as best I can to where I'm, I am focused on what we're doing in that moment. And yeah, that's um, it just really just comes with experience and um, your expectations is as a teammate and from your teammates, they expect you to be focused like that.
0: It's interesting too. When you said that, when you, you said the first thing is like your fear of failing your team or their, like the mission and not necessarily your own safety. That was surprising to me that that's like the number one concern, right? Cause you, as a layman, you just think, you know, aren't you afraid to die? Like that would be my, <laughs> right. And so it's just interesting that
1: you said that. Well, that's, I, that's, I'm sure that's an over that's out there, you know, I right. don't, um, but that's not what I think about. I think yeah. you know. I know I need to do. This is my job here on this uh, this operation. I need to make sure I don't fail this. You know, um, I don't freeze in the moment of uh, of decisive you know decision making or something like that. Um, yeah. Because that would get somebody else hurt. That, that's our biggest fear, for sure.
0: Tell me about how your interest in this career path. Right. Let's talk a little bit about that because I know you've mentioned like your your dad. Uh, was in the military. Right. And so there's, and you have a lot of brothers. Yeah. <laughs> Just tell me like, yeah, a little bit about like your background and is this something you always knew you wanted to do, right? You always knew yeah, you wanted to no. really? Okay.
1: <laughs> no, it's funny. Um, this kind of goes back to uh, never listen to your 21 year old brain, uh, <laughs> but it, it turned out, turned out well. Um, so like you said, I'm I'm the youngest of six and I have three older brothers. Um, All of us have been in the military and then all of us had careers in federal law enforcement following uh, that. I had two brothers with customs, one with FBI, and then myself.
0: You must be like a famous family in the whole agency world. Like everyone must know if you use the name Spears, people must be like, oh, I know one of those guys.
1: More infamous than famous. (laughs) <laughs> uh, but I, I do I do run into people occasionally yeah. who uh, knew, knew one of my brothers or served with them at some point.
0: Relatable is sponsored by TFA Soft Skills, your one-stop shop for workshops, coaching, speaking, and soft skills development. If you'd like to hire Teresa, visit www.tfasoftskills.com for more information.
1: You know, originally... Again, my father was in the military. I was brought up. um, It was not an expectation to go in the military, it was an expectation to serve your country in some capacity. Um, And I was free to make any choice I I wanted. Um, Again, I went to Virginia Military Institute. Uh, I started off originally um, looking to go naval aviation. And that, uh, I had some issues with a physical. my eyesight, which turned out to be a misdiagnosis, which I had better than perfect, efficient time. Um, but long story short, um, what really affected that whole decision-making process to, to pursue a commission um, was when the Berlin Wall came down, and there really wasn't anyone good to fight anymore at that point. You know, um, the military was in a huge drawback. Um, commissions were super, super hard to get, and BMI had just changed their mandatory commissioning um, uh, requirements Uh, that used to be required. You had to graduate. If you graduate from BMI, you had to accept a commission if it was offered to you. Right. Um, And you pair that with a uh, introduction I had to a, uh, (laughs) a truly infamous secret service agent. Uh, He was the father of one of my good friends at BMI uh Kevin was a year younger than me but uh his father Terry was a career secret service agent and that was the first look I really had into federal law enforcement and what it was all about and that's kind of what really sparked my interest um so you know again 21 year old brain thinks hey it's you know the military is just not going to be the same there's you know the russian bears not out there of course they're they're there now um uh, history is doomed uh, yeah. to repeat itself. Right, um, But I just made a, I don't want to say a snap decision, but a decision at that point that um, I was going to go try and get in federal law enforcement or law enforcement to start my career. And that mm-hmm. was the um, uh, path I wanted to take. And if you remember back in the early 90s, um, it was a pretty rough and tumble time in, in a lot of the cities and the, sort of like the beginning of the crack um waves and the carjacking thing and all that and it was you know um that's where i thought i would would you know find my service Um, Mm -hmm. and you know again my ultimate goal was to go to secret service and go to ppd and you know be in the show and you know that was then i i had to pivot again so (laughs) yeah
0: so So, in terms of that, maybe we, maybe I mean, VMI could probably be its own conversation um, in terms of that experience and what you go through as a young man through through that experience and how that changes you. You know, it's you hear stories about these academies and how they work, Mm -hmm. and um, and I just think, you know, in some respects, like it seems like it's such an incredible training opportunity to really mature and see. What your strengths are, and then at the same time, it seems like it's kind of harsh and like very demanding, and honestly, could probably kind of screw with your own like mindset and mentality, right? Like, I'm sure there's like both sides of that story, but um, maybe just briefly for you in terms of that experience, and and like, did you feel prepared then? Like, now that you had chosen that this is what you wanted to do, was that the right background for you to do that? Did you feel like you? You know, and, and, and you had mentioned, too, like you played sports, right, in high school, and you went there to play um, lacrosse as well. Is that right?
1: I did. Yep. I played lacrosse there. Um, so I'll – it's sort of a, um, a multifaceted answer to that. Yeah. Because VMI is a, a big topic. And uh, second only to uh, finding Stephanie and eloping with her, that's probably the, one of the better decisions I've made in my life. Um, yeah. The, uh, so VMI for me, again, I knew, um, a lot about it. I spent a lot of time there, uh, as a kid, as with you know, going there with my parents, my dad was class of 56. And I also had two brothers that were there, um, class of 81 and 86. So I was in and around VMI quite a bit. Um, and I heard their stories and they told me about what it was all about. And, um, more so my, my brother from the class of 86, I was a little bit young for, uh, my other brother, to really let those stories sink in, but I remember being there, and I knew that that was my spot. Um, and I think I only applied uh, there, and maybe maybe the Citadel. I don't. Mm-hmm. There's nothing else that was really had interest for me. Um, so, VMI was good for me in a lot of ways, um, and most importantly, I was not uh, the model teenager. <laughs> um, I got into a fair share of trouble, um, not with the law, more with my parents. Um, I uh, say I had a rowdy (laughs) four years in high school, Um, but VMI really takes um, and knocks off a lot of those rough edges. Um, You know, I was pretty full of myself uh, when I went there and I was shortly not full of myself. Mm. Um, and it's designed to do that, right? Uh, and honestly, when you look at VMI, it's not—it's a four-year evolution. It's not just the rat line. Um, right. And you know, a guy once told me, "The reputation you make your first year anywhere is the reputation that will follow you your entire career." And so well, that may not be fair. It's—it's it's oftentimes very true there, right? So I knew that, and I did. The best I could, um, you know, going through the rat line. It's a little bit different when you're playing a varsity sport. You, you have your practices when the other guys doing other stuff, but you have to engage. You have to um, be in it. You can't, you can't go there just to survive it. You won't get any lessons out of it. Uh, you have to get in the fight and take your lumps. Um, but when you look at VMI again, and I told my son this before we went, it's not about that first year. It is a four-year um, grind where your first year, you're it's harsh physically and mentally because you're just away from home and you're in the rat line and it's unpleasant. Um, but you also have a lot of um, decisions that are made for you, if that makes sense. You have uh, an upperclassman that is kind of your mentor that's there and they help you through all that. Well, when you get to your third class year, your uh, the it goes opposite. So, third class year would be like your sophomore year in, high, in college. Um, you're on your own, and that's what they often refer to as the academic rat line. That's when you really start getting into your um, the core classes of your major, and it's it, it's brutal um, academically. And you're starting to get a little bit of freedom. You're starting to get a little bit of decision making on your own, to where your self discipline is now truly tested Um, Mm. and then as you you know survive that into your second class year your junior year you're now getting more responsibility within the core you're getting um you know further into your major you got to be pretty much set at that point if you want to graduate on time and uh then you go on to your first class year where you're you're basically your class is running barracks And you're running the rat line for the rats behind you. You're leaving your legacy through that. Um, So it's a, it's every year has its own challenges, right? Mm -hmm. But the biggest thing that was most important to me going through VMI was the honor system. Without doubt. Um, The class system, all those things, those are, you know, uh, systems that make VMI's uh, flavor a little bit different. Mm Mm-hmm. But the honor system, the single sanction repercussions for violating it, and that sense of absolute personal honor and responsibility is what makes VMI, VMI. And that's something that you can then carry with you throughout your life. Um,
0: You know, one of the things that um, I'm sure I told you this, but, you know, when uh, Paul, we would all hang out socially and we met several of your friends from VMI you know, one of the things that I think is so, and, and actually I have a very good friend that's FBI and several FBI friends up here. And, um, you know, you, you have a perspective of what, you know, the the stereotype of kind of very like high, like ego, high energy, like kind of (laughs) assholey type people, right. Because there's just that vibe and it's how you're portrayed in movies and it's, kind of this like masculine of the masculine right and and what 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 i found in knowing you and and knowing your friends and 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 you know other people like you're actually it's the opposite in terms of um the kind of zen <laughs> approach you're kind of like outside of those scenarios i've never seen you in that scenario but you're very laid back to be around easy to you know so there's just something i think that's a myth out there right or or that training that you talk about in terms of honor and Um, and that can come, hopefully, you know, I, hopefully that can come in other ways other than just through kind of a military experience or
1: an academy experience. But I feel like uh,
0: that's something that I've noticed just like kind of observed, you know, on the outside looking in.
1: Well, that's like the, um, the beauty of, and one of the reasons I appreciate my experience at VMI so much is, um, several of my closest friends from VMI, um, Never went in military. Never went in law enforcement. They are absolute brothers to me. Um, they're like pseudo uncles to my kids. But they are um, honorable men to the core.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: you and I've talked to them about you know being in the the corporate world and stuff like that. And sometimes that clashes. Sometimes that's not um, a an easy balance to make for them it's a little bit easier in our in in my arena it's sort of an expectation um right but it's uh it's a little bit different um and that's a uh a a very cherished possession um that you know it means nothing to anyone else it means everything to me yeah that
0: I love that. I love that. And congratulations to Joey, because I know he just oh, yeah. graduated. So that's, well, it,
1: that's the kid you need to interview because he did VMI better than any of us. So yeah. okay.
0: <laughs> he, I'd love to interview him. It. I would love to if he'd be open to it. Um, let's talk just a little bit too then about, um, you know, you, you said you set the goal to, to be in Secret Service and, yep. and maybe we can apply this in other ways, but I'm very curious about the ability to set a goal and see that come to fruition and, and what is required, right? It's not like you graduated and you got to be in secret service, right?
1: So. No, it's quite the opposite. Yeah.
0: So tell Uh, me just about your perseverance and resilience and what you did to actually get to that goal of being in that spot.
1: Well, I'll, uh, so anyone who's in federal law enforcement knows that the, the application process is, you know, long, it's arduous. It's, You know, it's brutal. Uh, But I'll give you one um, example of what that was like for me. So when I first applied in federal law enforcement, it was uh, with the United States Marshal Service, okay? Um, And it's not uncommon to change agencies um, within the Mm -hmm. federal system, okay? Now that the the retirement is all one, there's lots of guys who jump um, back and forth. So the marshal service was the, they were hiring at the time. And so I tested with them initially and they have the same written at the time. They had the same written uh, examination, you know, preliminary examination called the TEA, the treasury enforcement agents exam. So I thought to myself, I'm going to take this and see what happens. Mm-hmm. Right. And so Stephanie and I were, uh, recently married, I think we were living in Fairfax at the time. And uh, I remember distinctly getting a very thin envelope in the mail. And when I, I I, I probably shouldn't say this, but I there's a happy ending to this story. Um, I had a, a 55 on that. And I got absolutely destroyed in the math section. So keep in mind, I was an English major in college. So other than the rat my my rat year which was calculus and some other stuff um i just hadn't done that forever and really got uh hammered on that section so you know naturally i was not considered so fast forward to um a couple years later when i'm taking the tea for secret service um what i did for that was different
0: you'd like to advertise with Relatable, please email us at info at for more information.
1: I knew I had to train and prepare differently. I had to, um, go about it a different way. So I actually, um, my daughter had just been born. I was a police officer in Arlington and I showed up at Robinson high school one afternoon and I found my old algebra teacher, this is Alice P. Keene, who was okay. a wonderful, wonderful teacher. And I came into her class afterwards, and she was very happy to see me. She loved seeing Lane. And she said, what are you doing here? And I showed her the paper where I scored a 55 in the math section. And I said, I need help. And so I went back to high school <laughs> to my algebra teacher for several weeks, a couple times a week. When I was, uh, I had Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday off. Uh, when I was a police officer, so like Tuesdays and Thursdays, I would show up. Wow! With a kid in a car seat, and after she had done all her after-school stuff with her students, and she retaught me uh, all the math that I needed for this test, and amazing, go forward, and I scored like a eighty-five on the second time. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's a it was a huge failure, right? I, I was devastated by that, but I had to figure out okay. It wasn't from lack of trying. I just didn't know how to do it. So right. now, how do I train myself, and how do I make sure I go into it as prepared as I possibly could be? And if it wasn't for Alice Peking, I don't know where I would be right now. <laughs> she and, I mean, what with.
0: I what I'm hearing too, which is amazing, and this is so important that people hear this is because you failed once in a way that a system has said you know you're not good enough right like you're not good enough because you didn't pass this test and you're not good at math right this all of us have these stories of what you're not good at and the fact that you you didn't buckle and say well this is just further evidence that I can't do this and so now I have to choose something else that 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 idea of like i i can do this like i i can find a way i can be creative i cannot let this define me i i feel like it's just so Important. It's such a great lesson that um, you know if you fight through those tough times, and then you and then it makes you appreciate it so much more. And you know, for right? Sure. Yeah, it, it, yeah mm-hmm. it's a, it's a great story. And then what about two for the, for being a police officer? Is that a prerequisite? That that's not like an easy ride <laughs> to get you into that to be a candidate for Secret Service, right? Do you, did you have to have some sort of other?
1: They they typically. Um want some type of professional experience. Law enforcement's a big draw to them. I mean, that gives them some metrics as, you know, um, can you handle pressure? Are you okay around firearms? Can you make decisions? Do you understand the law, constitutional law, that type of thing? Right. Um, you know, the military is another big one. Um, there, but those things, those are changing now we're seeing more and more, um, people coming from all different walks of life. Um, that are students in our academies now that, you know, there's always a, a good portion that are former uh, law enforcement from, you know, either a, another federal agency and or a local or state department uh, military for sure. Um, but we're, yeah. it's a, it's a broader spectrum now. For sure. Tell
0: me a little bit about being in this. So once you get to the secret service, this is your dream and your goal. Tell me, tell me about that right once you kind of get to the place that you're you want to be and and you're you're like I've arrived right I've done all the things and now I'm here T- and, and tell me about that what was that like
1: so I was assigned on the Washington field division and uh, or they call it the Washington field office ATF uses the field division so Washington field office and um, that was uh, a slapping the face at, at, at times like they worked very hard They're, you're not going to find people who work harder than secret service agents um, when I I graduated from our beltsville Academy on a Friday I went to work on Monday and didn't have a day off for 31 days Wow um, and that was a uh, and that was it just so happened to coincide with I got assigned um, to a protective detail right off the bat that was a Uh, three week assignment that rolled into the IMF world bank conferences that come to DC, which brings a lot of world leaders in. So that's just an incredible amount of protection um, operations that's going on at the time. So um, that was a, that's a different animal when it comes to workload and expectations. They are, um, I've never seen anything like it. Um, They truly are, a 24 seven nonstop machine. And they, they get it done. Um, and they are the, and I've been around other agencies that do similar missions. They are the best in the world at, at that, at, at protection and dignitary protection type of thing. Um, I often joke that, so I, I was there, started off in the forgery and fugitive section, um, got selected, uh, to go to our counterfeit squad. Um, and very, very lucky, served under a brilliant um, leader there, a guy named Bill Albrecht. Uh, learned a lot from him. Um, and then from there, I was the um, one of the senior 13s that's in, in that squad that was kind of the backup for the 14 when he's gone. Um, then had a little bit of a timeout for a little bit. And then when I got to the protective intelligence squad, um, those are the guys who investigate all the threats and that type of thing. That was a very exciting squad, but that was, so when you say goal oriented, um, when I first got there, um, I remember seeing the guys from the PI squad that had come down that had just rotated off the joint terrorism task force. And I was like, who are these guys? Nice. Like, Well, we send two agents, um, for two to three year rotations to the, the, uh, FBI's Joint Terrorism Task Force. And this is in 1999, 2000, prior to 9 11, right? So I remember seeing those guys saying, That's what I want to do. I want to go do that. Mm. And naturally, 9 11 happens. It's, you know, we were right in the middle of that. I was working that day. And that became my goal. I wanted to go to JTTF. And I ended up getting selected to go to JTTF in 2003. And spent three years there, and that's where I learned. Um, I think I got another pivot point. Yeah, I loved being an investigator. I, I just loved it. I loved the chase. I loved the interviewing dudes. I loved putting cases together. I loved the all those things. And I realized that um, two things. I realized um, that protection, whether it be on PPD or not, was just it didn't push the buttons I needed. Hmm. Um, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I also realized that, you know, I've gone so almost seven years to the Washington field office with crazy unpredictable schedules, you know, crazy amounts of overtime, the rest of it. And now I'm, I was next in line to go to PPD at our field office. Um, seniority wise, that's a presidential protection detail or, okay. or to phase two. Uh, PPD is my first choice. Um, And that's an even crazier lifestyle. You don't know what your week is going to be until Friday when the schedule comes out for the next week. Um, We just had my second child and, you know, I had an opportunity to apply with a different agency. And um, when they came back from their application process, uh, they said, Hey, we have a slot for you available in Richmond. So that was a, really uh difficult decision to make um you know we had to sell our home we had to do all these things I had to leave for uh the ATF basic academy um it was very very hard on my wife uh, it was a hard decision to make uh, all the way around but it ended up being um the best decision we could have made you know we loved raising our kids down here in Richmond uh I've Really, been super lucky and engaged and challenged with my career in ATF. I've done things and seen things here that I've never had the chance to do with the service. Yeah. And that's not to say I don't miss the service at times. I, I genuinely miss a lot of the people. I have a huge respect for their mission. Right? If I yeah. if I mess up a, a drug case, right, um, or a gun a robbery case, or whatever, while I'm working. We can get that guy again, right? If they mess up something on a foreign advance, you know they've changed history. I've changed nothing. So they have a very deep mission. It just wasn't for me. Yeah, that's what I found.
0: Well, and I think that's another great lesson of being you know, certainly surrounded or in the field that that you know you know you're kind of a, a adjacent right to what you want to be doing, but it wasn't like, I love pushing the buttons or feeling like it's not quite right. Or I'm not, it's not quite intersecting. Right. I do believe like the happiest people in their work are the people where you have that intersection of like, I'm good at this and I love it. Right. I'm. I'm it's both those things. Um, and the fact that you were open enough to really, and make hard choices. Like the fact that those, I, I mean, that's when, you know, I, I really, we spent more time together when you guys lived here, you know, very close to your wife and like, I do remember that being a very difficult decision um, to kind of uproot. It, you know, your whole system, your family is here, right? All, all the people you yeah. were talking about, and like that's tough. That's a hard thing to do, for sure.
1: Um, it, it, it was, and like I said, it was. Uh, I remember very vividly uh, leaving my family and driving down to uh, the ATF Academy, and. Uh, if you've ever been down there, the the water down there has a very sulfury smell to it. And I where is it? Where is the, the ATF account? Uh, it, it's in Glencoe, Georgia, at the Federal okay. Law Enforcement Training Center, uh, okay. right near St. Simons Island. And the water, I, I remember turning on the uh, the faucet to brush my teeth, to go to bed after I checked in, and the smell hit me. I realized where I was, and I just remember looking in the mirror and said, "What the hell have you done?" And but you know that that rounds downrange. All I could do at that point is engage as yeah. a trainee with ATF, do the best I could and, you know, move forward. There's no, there was no turning back.
0: And, and is that like resetting? You had like amassed quite, uh, ser- you but not just like technical years of service, but you were next up for BPD and it was like what you want, right? Like you, you have to start over if, in effect? Yeah,
1: and it, oh, for sure. You know, I was a brand new agent down there. Um, I actually took a pretty significant pay cut yeah. Um, they, you know, I went over as a, as a GS 13, I was a GS 13 with secret service. I went back to a GS nine and I had to, wow. um, you know, they try and with the step increases, they try and keep you a, a, as close as they could to, yeah um, where you were, but it, it's never the same. Um, and, but again, be being the new guy, again, being junior, I, I, I had a, a training agent, you know, it was Um, It's a lot of humility,
0: right? Like you just have to kind of, if that's what you want to do, and you made the choice, then you, you know. Well, it's.
1: I think it's sometimes it's very good to be humbled every once in a while. Yeah. Um, and to to start off new, like, doesn't mean you can't be good at it again or 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 that new skill. Yeah. Um, But you have to be open to being new and in receive mode, if you know what I mean. Like. Yeah. Yeah. um, So it was. uh, Let's talk a little bit.
0: About just impact on your family, right? Because that's sure. it's such a hard, um, you know, my friend, that's the FBI, like he, when he retired, um, I mean, he can barely talk about it without choking up when he thinks about his wife and family and how, you know, they moved with him everywhere. And and, and he's talked so um, supportively about, he's like, you know, everyone kind of talks about sort of the the, the the service oriented human and like everything that you're doing and your accomplishments and he's like at the same time it's really that person that's allowing you to kind of do the work that you want to do. So I would just say from a like and I've talked to Stephanie about this like you know it's terrifying, right? You leave and you don't know if you're coming back and and then but just also just the when you're talking about being in secret service and I'm sure even ATF to some extent like you can't
1: be there all the time. So how do you guys for sure um and especially kind of um I probably travel more now um, than I did before Um, just because being on SRT has a lot of um, deployments, training evolutions, that type of thing. Yeah. Um, But no, it is, uh, I don't um, think for a minute that my success is uh, based off of my shining personality and merit, right? I, I know for a fact that I could not have done what I've done career wise without the support of my wife. Yeah. Um, whether that be just the support to say, Hey, you failed, try again. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, just a, you know, a strong, healthy marriage. And then to know, Hey, if I do have to go for a couple of days or whatever it might be, especially when the kids were younger um, I knew it, everything would be okay. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, probably would get pretty low marks from her on a lot of things when it comes to the day-to-day house things and all those things. I, I do the best I can. Right. Yeah. Um, but there's just some things that she does better naturally. She's there. She's constant. And so that's, um, you know, hats off to her. Like, and uh, behind every successful man, is an even stronger woman who's gotten there.
0: Thank you, Don, for sharing your inspiring story. Uh, I loved hearing about all of the different uh, milestones throughout your career and all of the great advice, um, in particular, and it's something I've been thinking about since we had that conversation, um, is what you said about um, how how you can improve a skill or how you can work to make yourself better at something. And I think the quote is, if you want to get better at something, suck less. I think it's something so necessary. And because if you just try to suck a little bit less every day, you'll 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 see improvement, no doubt. Uh, thank you so much to Missy for producing this episode and for Hannah for your support. A huge thank you to our Relatable community for listening. Uh, if you enjoyed this conversation, please take a moment and subscribe. Uh, you can find Relatable on your favorite streaming platform. Relatable is sponsored by TFA Soft Skills. You can find more of about TFA Soft Skills and Relatable by visiting www.tfasoftskills.com. This is Teresa Freeman with Relatable. Until next time, stay connected.